0: Hey, it's Scott Petrack with another edition of the Brown Zone Zone Coverage Podcast. Brown's training camp has finally gotten underway, and I'm excited to talk about it with good buddy Dave Chodosky of the WKYC Morning News. Hey, Dave, it's been a busy sports week in town, around the world. You ready to talk some Browns?
1: Oh, my gosh, I am ready. Yeah, what a night. Last night, because we're recording this on Friday with the Cavs draft, the Browns, of course, the Olympics, but then also Terry Francona, huge news with the Indians. So I know my morning was busy on the air this morning talking about all of that. And uh, it's, you know, it's fun to to actually have the guys back on the field for real. And even though we're not totally back to normal, did you feel a sense of normalcy out
0: there? Yeah, and I I think today I'll really get – a sense of it because fans will be back in the stands. Now, it's not going to look the exact same. They're going to be in the bleachers on one side and in a giant tent right next to the bleachers, where in the past fans kind of did a horseshoe around the whole um, four fields that the Browns have. But, um, so that, but it'll feel normal. There'll be fans, there'll be yelling, there'll be you know Super Bowl chants, everything we're used to hearing at any Browns training camp. But even in the first two days when it was just the media out there, um, this is the first time that we have talked face-to-face with Kevin Stefanski since the Combine in February of 2020. So his whole first season was done on Zoom. And finally, Wednesday and Thursday, we were six feet away from him outside. You know, he's under a little tent. We're outside the tent. And the same with players. You know, J.C. Treader, Baker Mayfield – Jarvis Landry. So that felt more like normal. Um, You know, they have, we're not back in the building as reporters. We're not in the team headquarters, but there's a trailer set up for us to work. Um, So that felt normal because all the last year, you know, for the most part, all the writing was done at home. During training camp last year, they had a little outdoor thing where you could only write for about a half an hour. Now we can get there early and stay late if we want to. So um, from my perspective, there definitely is a sense of normalcy. And then I think, you know, Kevin Stefanski didn't get to realize it at all last year. Go get what it feels like to have this atmosphere of the fans at camp um, finally this afternoon.
1: Yeah, I don't know if it was you that tweeted it. And obviously I don't get to go to camp, but uh, I follow you on Twitter. And of course uh, you do a great job. I don't know if it was you or I read it somewhere else. Baker made a comment about, uh, he got finally got to see what Stefanski uh, looked like without a mask on.
0: Yeah. I mean, he was asked kind of <laughs> the difference between last year and this year, you know, and it's I mean, at this point last year, he had met Kevin Stefanski because before the pandemic, Stefanski made a point to go down to Austin to meet right. with Baker. But after that, it was all zooms. Um, you know, they got a late start to training camp. Um, and then, yes, yeah, Stefanski made a point of saying that when he went back and watched the film of last year's camp, how startling it was to see all the coaches coaching in masks. And, you know, I don't even know if, you know, I think camp even started a little bit later than this a year ago, but even at the beginning of camp, like they had the team split up because you could only have so many people in a certain area. And, um, you know, this looks like a normal training camp without masks for most people outside. I mean, practice, nobody wears masks. Some of the players that are not fully vaccinated still wear masks during walkthroughs. Um, but for the most part, it looks normal.
1: A lot to get to, I think let's start with Baker. And, uh, he talked about just how great it is to be in person and, uh, you know, not have to do everything through zoom. And, you know, did you get a sense that, uh, that's going to be a a huge
0: difference? Well, yeah, I think it makes a big difference. I I thought the Browns did a really good job last year, led by. GM Andrew Berry and coach Kevin Safansky and handling most of the really large obstacles that were prevented or were presented, you know, with the pandemic, um, they were able to transition to all virtual meetings. And, you know, even once the season started, they had some in-person meetings, and then that stopped because of so many COVID cases and the league changed its protocols. So, They were able to adapt pretty well, I thought. But obviously, you're better off having people in person, right? They're able to meet in the building as opposed to only on Zoom. I just think across the league, that will be beneficial. Now, well, you know, hopefully we're seeing the cases rise. And, you know, J.C. Tretter was talking about we have to follow all the protocols. Um, You know, hopefully we don't get to a point where we we revert back to Zooms and everything's going to be able to continue as it is, but it'll make a difference. I think what's more important for the Browns in this, you know, 2021 season is the continuity, right? Baker shows up at training camp and it's the same coach. It's the same coaching staff. It's the same offensive system. And he's got all 10 other starters back on offense and the top backups, like Kareem Hunt. That was going to be Kisama. my
1: next question. That was right? going to be in my next question, right, about the having all the starters and, you know, the, the continuity. You're right. Yeah,
0: it's, it's just huge. And, you know, we expect the Browns to be really good this year, right? The Super Bowl talk is out there. They're talented across the roster. But on top of that, on top of just looking at what the roster is on paper, it's the fact that all these guys are coming back on offense that there's going to be a comfort level in the system. Things that were missing in Baker's first three years, right? When he didn't have the same head coach, when he didn't have the same playbook, um, the same offensive system. And yes, they still install the plays like they normally would, but you're, you're a step ahead, right? Baker made a point of saying, not only can I, do I know how to push guys because it's the same guys on offense, right? So he knows kind of what buttons to push with each guy how to motivate them, how to get them focused, all those things. He said, we're already at a starting point where we can leap off. So I can say, you know, they can uh, they can run a play that doesn't work, and Baker can say, hey, remember when we did this last year? And guys have a common knowledge where that was missing a year ago. Everything was new. So, and I don't know if I can, like, I'm going to quote Kevin Stefanski here. I don't know if I can quantify how big a difference it is, but it's a huge difference having the continuity of system, not to mention the continuity of players. Well,
1: Beckham Jr., he practiced on Wednesday, right, not Thursday?
0: Yeah, you know, and the day off Thursday, and it's not a day off. He worked inside with the trainers, and he watched the end of practice. But it was part of the plan, right? The same Chris Hubbard, the offensive lineman, um, Grant Dalpert to safety, Jojo Netson, the receiver returner, all had planned days off. On Thursday, but I, I just got to tell you, I I know we talk about Odell a lot, and I, I don't think people get sick of it because it's Odell, but he is amazing to watch, and he always has been right. Even when he's, um, you know, even when he was not in hundred percent in 2019, it was still something else to see. Uh, Odell practice just because he's a different. Athletic specimen, but to see him come back from the torn ACL like he has in it's, I think it's nine months, right? It was October 25th when he tore it. So it was nine months and like two days at the first training camp practice and to watch him run around and watch him make cuts. It, it, it's just incredible. And, and Baker said it, he, he's not only, is he not a normal or not only is this not normal for people, it's not normal for athletes to come back. Like Odell does. He looks phenomenal. I think he's in a good place mentally. We talked to him at his youth football camp um, over the weekend. You know, he's saying all the right things. He's talking about the only goal is to win the Super Bowl. Um, If you have an Odell Beckham Jr. who's in the right mental space and is back to being healthy, which hopefully he stays that way, I I really think it takes the offense to just another level, another stratosphere. And and Baker talked about that yesterday saying – The chemistry that he's built with Odell on and off the field, even in the offseason when Odell went down to Austin, Texas, he thinks it'll really help their relationship. Because we know in 2019, it wasn't great on the field. They just didn't connect enough. And they almost had the same connection rate a year ago, completions versus targets in Odell's limited time. And that really needs to improve. And I think there's a lot of optimism that it will this year. Well, the one thing I keep hearing is, you know,
1: most people, almost everyone says, how can you say the offense won't be better with Odell? And while I agree with that, and while it is kind of the same thing, will, will Baker mentally be the same? That's the thing you always, always have, you always have to go back to, right? Because when Odell's not on the field, he doesn't feel the pressure of having to feed him the ball, right? When he yeah. is on the field, he, I mean – you know what I'm
0: saying? I mean, there's, I do. do you feel
1: that? Well, that, can that mental aspect of it for Baker go away?
0: Yeah, it's interesting, John. And, and I think there is something to be said for that. I think, especially when Baker was young in 2019, and even at the start of last year, you know, I flash back to that opener against the Ravens, and everything was a disaster that game, right? They get waxed. I think it was 38 to six. Um, But it felt like Baker was trying to force the ball to Odell, and there were a ton of targets, and it just wasn't working. And things got better for the most part. You know, remember that Cowboys game where Odell was phenomenal. Um, Sure. but, but But I do think there's something to be said for that, that Baker felt a pressure, whether or not it was from Odell or just internal, to get the ball to Odell. But while that can be true, I don't think Odell's absence helped the offense. I think the offense naturally would have gotten better. I think Baker would have gotten better as he got more comfortable in the system. I don't think you're a better team without Odell or a better offense without Odell. I think the Browns missed him at key moments last year, none more key than the playoff loss to Kansas City, where if Odell makes one play, it could have changed the game, and he's that type of player. So I never bought into the the argument that they're better off without Odell. But I do think that a more confident Baker, and I believe he is more confident, will not feel that pressure to go to Odell and will trust his reads and trust his progressions. Now, you still have to get to ball to Odell because he's probably your second-best player on offense behind Nick Chuck, right? So it makes sense to get him the ball, but you don't need to force it to him. And, and I do think Baker will have grown in that area. Do you think Odell we'll put the drama
1: aside though. Cause Scott, let's be honest. The thing that's always followed this guy are injuries and drama. So my question is, will, with all of the malice that have to be fed on this yeah. offense. And again, I think we're getting off topic here a bit because we're here to talk about training camp, but like, even in the first two days of training camp, have you seen anything or is there any, you know, is there been any talk about that? I should say, or have you seen anything that leads you to be concerned at all?
0: No, not at all. Um, You know, he looked great running around. He looks happy to be here. Um, He looked happy at his youth football camp. Um, You know, I spent some time with his mom and she's happy and they're happy to be back living in, um, you know, the Cleveland area after spending so much time away after the the injury last year. So I I do feel like Odell's in a really good spot. Now, you're you're right about the drama. I think the drama is only an issue if you're losing. I think if you win games, guys tend to shut up. And if you win games, you're happy. And I think Odell will get enough touches often enough that will keep him satisfied. Um, I I like the fact that he's only talking about winning and not stats. Now, I, I get that at some point that changes, and I get we're all selfish at some level. So I'm not saying that's not an issue. Um, But I think as long as you win, it really goes to the back burner, and I expect the Browns to win. So, uh, you know, I I don't think that's going to be anything that derails the season. Uh, Yes, it's something that maybe we should keep an eye on. Uh, But I I think the Browns are better off with Odell, and I think he's going to have a huge role in this team taking the next step this year. All right. So after two practices, how do they look?
1: And obviously I know they're not in pads yet. There's right. no fans. I, I get all that, but listen, fans want to know <laughs> They they're, they're always starving for info on the inside and you have that inside uh, for us. So, you know, how how
0: they looking? Yeah, I, I think they look smooth. Now a caveat is, you know, you're, like you said, they're not in pads. It's not super intense yet. They're still installing uh, the offensive defense. You know, they're, going at a jog pace for a good chunk of practice. But we did see some 11-on-11. We see, you know, full speed seven-on-seven. So we see guys making plays. Um, you know, the, the first thing that jumps out is there's more completed passes than, you know, in in years past, right? You were out there, Chud, for plenty of years where you watch practice. You go, oh, my God, this is just ugly. Things aren't ugly yeah. anymore, right? Thing, things aren't kind ugly
1: anymore. That, I'm glad you bring that up because there there have been many times where after the first two practices you're just like, oh my gosh, this is awful,
0: right? That that's not the case anymore. The players are too good. The coaches are too good. So, you know, I, I think that's a plus. Um, you get to see the guys running around. You get to see Greg Newsome. Greedy Williams is back, even though he, he left practice for a bit. I think it scared everybody. It wound up being a heat related thing that he said the trainers were just kind of being extra cautious. He was back yesterday. Um, and I think overall they look good. Now, the way the practice set up, we haven't spent a whole lot of time. The reporters haven't spent a whole lot of time near the defense. So I haven't been up close with Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney. Um, spent a lot of time looking at the receivers. Again, Odell. Um, Jarvis looks good. Jarvis looks in great shape. He's lighter and thinks he's faster than a year ago because last year, he, last offseason, he spent it all rehabbing the hip. Right. He had that hip surgery in February of 2020, spent all offseason rehabbing that. So he wasn't able to do weight training, he wasn't able to do speed work. And he said last year was the toughest year for him personally, given coming off the hip, given the broken ribs he suffered. I think it was week five against the Colts. Um, now he feels much better. He spent this offseason, you know, weight training and doing speed work. Um, he looks phenomenal. So you just see all these guys that we talk about on the field together. And yeah, you go, okay, this is what we think it's going to be. Now, we, like I said, we haven't seen a pass. We haven't seen full speed. We haven't seen two-minute drills or goal line, red zone, any of that kind of stuff. But you're starting to see the foundation. And really what you see is all these pieces that you're waiting to be put together. What's the best? and worst you so far? Yeah, you know what? Um, you broke up just a little bit, Judd, but the best and worst. Some of the best, you know, I really appreciate the, you know, we the, the Super Bowl expectations, right? They're the backdrop for this whole season and this whole training camp. And, and I like the fact that everybody's talking about the work. And I know that like, gets a little cliche and it's on all the signs in the building, but it feels like, I know that that's Kevin Stefanski's message and at least with the guys we've talked to, it resonates with them. There's not a whole lot of talk about how great they were a year ago, right? It's about um, what they have to do this year. And they're not focused on last year. And Baker said, that, hey, we got to start fresh. This is all new. And I just think that's the right mindset to take. Do the work and forget about what you accomplished last year, which really was huge for the Browns, 11-5, and five, win a playoff game. But in the grand scheme of the NFL – you know, teams do that all the time, right? So focus on the work, put last year behind. Um, kicker, this is a good and bad together. Kicker Chase McLaughlin, he's, the, he's trying to upset um, incumbent, incumbent Cody Parker, right? Cody Parker was a kicker last year. They signed Chase McLaughlin. You always have that second leg in camp, but that also means it's a competition. In their first field goal drill yesterday, McLaughlin goes five for five right? Can't do any better than that. Meanwhile, Parky goes one for five, makes his first one, and then they, continue, you know, they slide back for the next four and misses the last four. Hits an upright, misses wide left, misses wide right. Not the kind of start you want to get off to. Um, another one of the best things I've seen, receiver Donovan Peoples-Jones. He made the catch of the day on Wednesday. Went up over rookie safety Richard LeCount, kind of tumbled to the ground, hung onto the ball, and I, I think it's just a sign of things to come. Now, I know it's a crowded receiver room. I know there's a lot of competition to be that third guy, you know, Kaderil Hodge and Rashard Higgins, Anthony Schwartz, the rookie. But yeah, I think DPJ has a chance to have, um, to make a significant impact this season. And we saw him make an impact last year in really limited playing time. Already right? caught the touchdown, the winning touchdown against the Bengals. Um, when he really probably wasn't even expected to play, but then Odell got hurt and it felt like anytime the Browns coaches turned to him, he came through and I expect them to turn to him more this year. Um, a couple quick ones, you know, Mac Wilson is still with the starters. Right. And it's just intriguing because, you know, he's, you know, he worked real hard in the off season. Kevin Stefanski says he's in a good spot physically and mentally. Um, but Mac Wilson, he's a guy to me, that's on the bubble right? Depending how it shakes out in the linebacker room, maybe he gets traded. He could even get cut. But if you start camp with the starters, and I know, you know, Jeremiah Urusu koromoa is on the COVID list and Tony Fields, the second is out with a foot injury, but I think Max still would have started still would have been with the starters. Um, that's just a good sign for him, right? It means that they're going to give him this chance to keep a roster spot, maybe even keep that starting weak side linebacker spot, um, so it's going to be interesting to see once we get into the harder of training camp, once we get into the preseason, is Mac Wilson able to sustain that or does he give up ground and then you start to wonder if he really is on the roster bubble? And then the worst... Who's no, no, go ahead, Judd. Go ahead.
1: No, no, go ahead. I'll get back to that. I was yeah, just going to...
0: Yeah, and I've kind of already mentioned Parkey going one for five. And then the fact that we're not seeing those rookie linebackers, right? There's a lot of expectations for... Urusu Koromoa. And, you know, he's on the COVID list. He says he doesn't have any symptoms, which likely means that he's going to be able to come back, you know, Tuesday or Wednesday. So he wouldn't have missed a ton of practice time and they're still, you know, zooming him into meetings, but you want him out there, right? The Browns expect him to make a big impact. You would like for him to be able to practice from the start and he's not. And then Tony Fields is another undersized guy fast, kind of in that JOK model. Um, he didn't practice much at all in the offseason with the foot injury shows up to camp and hurts the other foot. Um, no long-term prognosis yet from Kevin Safansky. So, you know, I think these are two guys that you go, okay, we want to see these rookie linebackers and we haven't been able to see him at all yet. You brought up greedy and the uh, injury and he was back on Thursday, right? That's what yeah. you said. He was back. He yeah. says he feels great. Um, and we got a battle there: Greedy Williams versus Greg Newsom. Newsom said, "Yeah, I think it yep. is a battle for the starting job." And Greedy's getting those first reps right now, you know. And I think a lot of that is rookies. You know, coaches don't want to just hand it to rookies, but I, I think there is a battle there versus you know the second round pick in 2019 versus the first round pick in 2021. It's always interesting, the bike patrol, right? That's, uh, when uh you know, one of the first thing the beat
1: riders do, right, is you go to see who's on those bikes to see who's injured. I always felt when I was out there is like when things were so bad and the Browns were, it's like, you know, I always wondered how, not to say guys were faking it, that's not what I'm saying, but it always felt like, all right, these guys, there were so many guys on the yeah. bikes because they were so bad, but I feel like maybe those days are gone. I, you know, I mean, it, doesn't it just feel like the attitude is
0: better there in that regard? Oh, there's, oh, there's no doubt about it, Chud. And, you know, some of that is bad luck, right, all these, all the guys that were on the bike. But some of it was, I'm sure, guys not wanting to be out there every day, right, depending on the coaching staff, how they treated players. And, you know, did they ask him to fight through or did they – you know, how they handle minor injuries. And, you know, obviously you don't want to push through everything and it's a long season and you don't want to be stupid if a guy has a tight hamstring, but you're right. There were plenty of days where you'd look over and the biggest name Browns weren't practicing. Right. <laughs> and and I'll tell you what, I thought about this yesterday for some reason, I think one of, well, probably cause I'm working on a story about him, but, um, I do think one of the significant changes in the rebuild of the Browns, right, was not only was the addition of Jarvis Landry, but one of the signature moments was that rant that we all saw on hard knocks and, you know, it's contagious and you need to be on the field. You know, everybody knows the the rant I'm talking about. I, I really do think that Jarvis began to change the culture in the mindset. Now it took a while, right? That was still Hugh Jackson and you had to live through the Freddie kitchens year, but within that locker room, I think Jarvis started to change things, which is why I think you probably see more guys practicing this edition of the Browns than you would have three, four five years ago. You gave me an even
1: better answer than I was looking for. You're right. I mean, it's so true. And that's the culture of this team. And I think that's, What's so important is, you know, we do talk about, hey, it's only practice or, hey, they're not in pads or, but, you know, there's so many things that you can look and see that have changed under Stefanski. And of course, what winning does and changing a culture. So I think that's important at the start of camp. I really do. And it's, uh, you know, it's good to see that for sure.
0: Yeah, there, there's no doubt about it. There's no doubt. And it, it just, everything feels different, right? And, you know, if, and I, and I just, uh, you know, how, it is in this business, Chud. Like, I'm trying to keep it real, right? Not to sound like I'm 24. I'm trying to be realistic when I when I look at the Browns. And I've covered this team for so long, and you look for flaws. And, you know, I think there's a tendency for everybody to get overexcited. And obviously, there's issues on this team, and guys need to stay healthy, and Baker needs to play well and big moments, and the defense needs to mesh. But it's hard. Like, I don't see any reason for this team not to be good. They have a smart coach. They have a quarterback that I think is improving. They have talent everywhere. They have maybe the the league's best offensive line. They have maybe the league's best pass rusher, right? They have an improved secondary. But you look at all the key things, you go, okay, well, they have them. And that's why I think for the first time in a long time, all the excitement is truly justified, right? Maybe it wasn't in 2008, even coming off 10 and six. I know it wasn't. Looking back in 2019, right, coming off seven, eight, and one, the Baker or the Odell trade—I mean, it was a lot of excitement, and it was a talented team, but there were huge flaws, starting with, you know, your head coach at the time. So, you know, I, I keep looking for holes, and the fact is, I just don't see a lot. Now, that doesn't mean, yeah. well, doesn't mean they're going to go 14 and three, but it means I, I think the Browns are going to be really good this year, and I think the fans are going to really enjoy watching. Them. Yeah,
1: no doubt. And that's why I'm glad to hear them say that last year doesn't matter and it's a new year and they got to, you know, start fresh and keep building, though, off of what they did do last year. But remember that it is a new year. And I guess for me, I think there's that stat, right, that half the teams that made the playoffs the year before didn't make it the next year. So, uh, you know, nothing is is guaranteed, right? Yeah. And I will say, and, and I know I kind of hint at it, and and we've talked about it before, and I don't want to get back into this conversation, but I I do need to see Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah. and Baker and that offense succeed together. For I I need to see it because I'm not saying that he doesn't make the offense better. I'm just saying I need to see that
0: exist yeah. on the field for multiple weeks in a row. No, that's fair enough, Judd. That's that's fair enough. Um, and i I'm, I'm just confident he will. But you're right; it needs to be. It needs to be proven. You need to see more than just the Cowboys game of a year ago, right? There needs to be a level of consistency. Um, there needs to be more efficiency when Baker throws his way. When throws his way. There's, there's no doubt about it. You're right about yeah. that. I um, don't need to be told it's going to happen. I need yeah. to see it happen is
1: basically yeah. what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I would say, going back to leaving last year in the past, That's a Kevin Stefanski. That starts with Kevin Stefanski. And, you know, this is not a, you know, crap on Freddie Kitchen's podcast. But when you talk (laughs) about the difference between 2019 and 2021, as far as mindset, it starts with the coach setting the right tone. And it starts with, yeah, hey, let's not read all our press press clippings, right? Let's not listen to the outside stuff. And I I just don't think Freddie did a good enough job of that. I think he got caught up with it, up in it. I think he loved the excitement. He loved the hype. And they're just two different personalities. And Miles Garrett, you know, somebody asked him the differences. And he just got, yeah, just a little bit. Like when asked <laughs> Freddie to Kevin. And he was obviously, you know, being somewhat sarcastic or downplaying it because the difference is ginormous. <laughs> I don't want to talk about him because I, I want to get into Miles Garrett next
1: since you brought him up, but I just, I have to laugh when I hear Freddie Kitchens. I just think, how could they miss so badly on that? And I know you never know until you live it, but it's just funny looking back at it. Like, you know, it, it's, it's just amazing how one guy can be so good at evaluating talent, but just strike out so heavily
0: on the head coach. Yeah, it, it, it really is. And, you know, the Browns um, hired Bob Quinn, the former Lions GM, they added him as a consultant today. And so I was reading a bunch of stuff about him. And he hired, he inherited Jim Caldwell, who went nine and seven in Quinn's first two years, fired him because they thought they could do better, hired Matt Patricia, who he knew from the Patriots. And that wound up costing Quinn. Not that Quinn didn't make bad, you know, free agent signings and bad draft picks, but you can't hire the wrong coach, right? Like a GM, sometimes they get two, but rarely. You know, usually get one coach and you better hire the right one. And we saw it with John Dorsey. We saw it with Phil Savage. Like, you can't make that mistake. And you're right. It just, you go back to that decision and, you know, you wonder how the Bron- – you know, I don't know if the Browns would be in any better spot if they had hired Kevin Stefanski a year earlier. Um, no, but it probably
1: they- worked out for the better, actually, you know that I, and didn't Stefanski say something about that? Like having another year in right. Minnesota.
0: He's, yeah, I think, yeah, he, right. It helped him mature. Maybe he wouldn't have been yeah. the same guy. Yeah. I mean, it probably works out. I don't think we could expect the bronze to be any better than 11 and five and win a playoff game last year, but
1: yeah, you wouldn't right. have had to
0: live through the uh, the <laughs> crushing, you know, the crushing letdown of 2019. I don't think. Yeah.
1: Uh Real quick on Miles Garrett. Well, I'll tell you, I think about that guy and I think about, you know, obviously the helmet incident and then last year, COVID, uh, two years in a row he's had his season derailed. I can only imagine in fans, like, Scott, I'm telling you, man, if that guy can play all 17 games,
0: the numbers he can put up, I mean, we, we could be looking at an MVP. Yeah, you're right, Chad. Obviously the potential is there. You know, and you see the rankings, and some people rank him as the best edge rusher in the league. Obviously, the Bronze gave him the huge contract a year ago. Um, it's there. And what to me, what's op, what you can point to is a sign of optimism is I think he's gotten better each year. And I think we've seen him realize more and more of his potential. Now, not all of it. Like, he got off to such a great start last year, right? He had the four forced fumbles, and I think it was from weeks two to five, he had four forced fumbles. He had five sacks. I want to say he was defensive player of the month for October in the league, I think. Um, But then, and even, even before COVID, I, I thought there was a little bit of slip might be too strong a word, but he didn't dominate. He didn't continue to dominate like he did early in the season. Now there's reasons for that, right? Teams adjust and you get worn down and you're getting double and triple team, but I always felt like for his first couple of years, you'd see these flashes of brilliance and then you'd see times where, you know, he kind of disappeared and he didn't dominate. True. And I thought starting in 19 before the helmet incident, you saw him dominate more, but still not to where I wanted it to be. And I'm sure we're not where the Browns wanted it to be. And probably not where miles wanted it to be. And then last year you saw a more consistent level, but still not quite there, right? Not Aaron Donald, right? Who you got to, point to because he's the three-time defensive player of the year right and not to where jj watt was when he was dominant and I, i just think it's inside miles and i think this could be the year where it happens and you have the games where he just takes over and then you have the games where even when he doesn't take over he still makes such an impact And part of that is having Jadavian Clowney and Tack McKinley on the other side. Part of it's having a better secondary. Part of it will be if the Browns are playing with the lead and he can go get the quarterback all game long because he's dropping back 50 times. Um, I, I think all these things could add up to huge numbers and huge impact. And then you're talking about, you know, defensive player of the year. Yeah. Last thing on him.
1: We talked about Baker last week about how we thought he looked, uh, a little bit different than last year and years before, just physically. Uh, do you feel, uh, let fans know, because you got to see him, and he talked with you guys, right? Um,
0: yeah, he talked. Yeah, we talked to him yeah. on uh, on Wednesday. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he looks. Uh, does he look good? What did he, yeah. anything stand out from what he said? Yeah, he, he looks phenomenal, Chud, but he always did. Like, that's right. that's the thing about Miles. Like, the first time you see Miles without a shirt on, you're like, oh, my gosh. Like, he's just a different. Just different than most of the guys. He's like LeBron. I mean, like LeBron. I mean right. there's certain guys exactly. that are just, yeah. Yeah. And you saw, you know, he did the body issue to ESPN. I mean, he's just, he's just different, which is why, you know, you're the number one overall pick in a draft, right? Um, I, I did think one of the things he said, and I haven't gotten a chance to write about it because there's so much going on. He talked about more of a leadership role. And, you know, Miles has some introvert in him and he's shy to a degree and I don't know if being a vocal leader comes natural to him, but I think he started to grow into that role more and knows that he needs to take some of that on. In addition to, you know, just working as hard as anybody or working harder than everybody and guys follow your example. um, I I think you see, you know, even the more mature miles than a couple of years ago. And he's in part of that is the helmet throw, right? I mean, that was a big deal and he had to come through the other side of that. COVID, you know, I think that really taught him some lessons and showed him, yeah, you know, this is fragile. You know, not only is life fragile, but my playing career and how well I'm doing on the field is fragile. So, you know, he's a smart guy. He's a sensitive guy. And I I think he really does pay attention to, okay, what do I need to do on and off the field for this team to be as good as possible? And for me to have, an impact on this team. And he realizes that part of that is, um, being a leader and showing the rest of this, you know, transform defense, right? We got all these new pieces on defense. Miles is one of the holdovers and he's got to show the guys the way. Uh, real
1: quick, any major injuries to be, you kind of touched on it. We talked about, uh, greedy, but any major yeah. injuries you concerned about?
0: No, I mean, Tony Fields, the linebacker, you know, we don't know for sure how long he'll be out. Um, maybe he becomes an IR candidate, you know, um, your fifth round pick out of West Virginia, Richard Higgins rolled an ankle and didn't practice yesterday, but should be okay. I would say seeing Chris Hubbard, the, you know, he's the sixth offensive lineman last year, played well at guard and tackle. Um, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet at least, you know, from a football perspective, right. You don't know these guys completely off the field, but I really enjoy talking to Chris. Um, He had a severe knee injury in December. I think it was that Giants game. Dislocated kneecap, had ligaments that were torn. Um, He's back. Now, he took Thursday off as part of the plan, but he practiced Wednesday. And that was a good sign because, first of all, it's just great to see him back and be able to recover as quickly as he did. But then, you know, he's, I think the Browns are still counting on him to be that number six lineman, which is an important role because we all know guys get hurt across the offensive line.
1: Last thing I want to ask you about when it comes to the Browns, because I do have a question at the very end for you. Uh, but when it comes to the Browns, uh, can you just bring us up to speed on J.C. Tretter and uh, what's going on with, I think I saw the Steelers have different colored yeah. wristbands for players, whether they've gotten the shot or not. Uh, what are the Browns? How are they approaching that? Uh, bring everyone up to speed on that.
0: Yeah, the, the Buccaneers and the Steelers, had guys wearing different colored wristbands that differentiated if you were vaccinated or not fully vaccinated. And JC Tretter did not appreciate that. He called it nonsensical. Um, he thought the league was trying to shame guys into being vaccinated. He said, you know, he kind of referred to it as a scarlet marking, like a scarlet letter. And Bruce Arians, the Buccaneers coach said, our guys need to wear it inside. They don't need to wear it at practice. It's not, you know, we're not trying to show everybody, but that guys are still wearing them or had been wearing them. The Browns thought about it and decided not to. Um, they have something in the lanyards they wear around their neck. So inside the building, because the rules are different inside the building for vaccinated versus unvaccinated. And that's why there needs to be a differentiation, You know, uh, you have to differentiate because, you know, guys who aren't vaccinated can't eat in the cafeteria. There's limits on how many guys can be in the weight room together. You have to wear a mask inside the building if you're not vaccinated. So there's a reason to identify vaccinated versus unvaccinated, but it doesn't have to be public and it doesn't have to be on the field. So the Browns were aware of that. They said, we're not going to have the wristbands. And it it speaks to a little bigger theme that obviously we know that there's strong opinions on the vaccination in society among NFL teams. You've seen Buffalo with Cole Beasley and Jerry Mm -hmm going back and forth on social media and the Browns have been strong about we're not going to let this divide us. Okay. Um, We're going to respect people's decisions. Yes. The team is pushing for as many people as possible to be vaccinated as many players as possible. I've been told that the rate, the vaccination rate among the team is in really good shape and continues to grow. Um, Hopefully we get a number on that at some point, but the Browns are pleased with where it is but they're not going to let this be an issue that divides them. And I I think that's important. I think obviously that's the right tack to take. And then the only other COVID thing, because it has been a topic these first two days is, you know, JC Treader wants more testing for vaccinated players right now, unvaccinated guys test every day. And that's how it was for everyone in the league a year ago. Well, The league has decided and, you know, it kind of went along with the changing things in our society that if you're vaccinated, you only had to test once every 14 days. Well, with the Delta variant spiking and the cases surging, Treader wants more testing for even the vaccinated because he just doesn't want somebody to test negative, become positive two days later and be spreading the virus for or shedding the virus for another 12 days before he tests again. So I, I think we'll see the league and the NFLPA come up with an agreement. And I don't think it'll go back to being every day, but I think we'll see more tests of even the vaccinated players. And maybe even you see masks back in buildings, um, because I know that's kind of where the CDC wants, seems like it wants to go with the Delta variants. So it, it's still a, it's still an issue. I think we still have to talk about it. The league still has to deal with it. But JC's main point is, you know, and he's the NFL PA president, is we made it through last year following all these protocols. As long as guys, vaccinated or unvaccinated, follow the same protocols, we can get through another season. You just have to keep that front of mind. All right. That's uh,
1: all I got for you from camp, but I do have one question for you. How's <laughs> the you golf got, game? How's the golf game?
0: Yeah, well, it's sad because – my golf game is now completely dependent on when the Browns off days are that they don't make <laughs> news on the off days and that the weather holds up on the off days. So, um, so, but, but heading into camp, it was good. And I set you up for this. I will just tell really quick. I, it made me laugh. Um, so I played golf Monday, right. Before camp, the last round before camp. And I played at the legacy course at sweep prior and Avon Lake. Is I'm pulling up to the first tee. I see JC Treader and Joe Botonio leaving, right? They're done. They had already played. So I talked to them for a couple minutes, whatever. I go to the first tee and I'm actually supposed to do the, my radio spot on 92.3 It's 11 o'clock every Monday. Well, my buddy had made the tee time for 11.04. So I'm trying to make it work. So I say, hey, you guys were waiting for the third guy. I said, hey, I'm going to tee off. That way I'll play the hole. Hopefully I can do the interview. You guys finish the hole and it works out. So I say bye to um, Treader and Batonio. I go the first tee and I hit a drive and there's water and trees down the left, but it goes over the trees and fades back in the middle. Anyway, I, the radio calls. I answer. I hit my wedge. Um, I do the radio interview. The guys finish the hole. I'm still on the radio. We need to move to the second tee. So I putt one handed as I'm still talking on the phone doing radio. It goes in because I hit the wedge to three feet, so I make birdie on one. Anyway, oh. right, right. And I had a really good run. I was pleased with my run. So, so you know, okay, great. There's a good good way to finish the pre-training camp golf season. So we're standing at practice Wednesday, and Betonio turns around like they're practicing, like they're going through offensive install. Betonio turns around and he goes, Scott, did that drive on number one wind up in the fairway? And I go, I go, yeah, I handled it. He goes, oh, I know, but we couldn't tell if it made it back into the fairway because it had to go over these, you know, over the tree on the left there. And so obviously they stayed and watched. And, I, you know, I don't know if they stayed just to see, hey, can this guy hit the golf ball or not? Um, <laughs> but luckily I hit a good drive and it did wind up in the fairway and I only had 105 yards in, but it just cracked me up, you know. But Tony in the middle of practice, I'm like, what? And then I started to tell me hey, I hit a wedge at three feet and like, he's like, yeah, whatever. I got to go practice, but I just want to know if the drive went in the fairway. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great story,
1: man. Look at you uh buddying up with the Browns on the golf course. I would have swung and missed. So I mean that's <laughs> good that you were able to pull that off with uh but but here's one one thing for you. Just, just tell 92.3 that to, to switch the time. Just be like, hey, can I do 10 o'clock or you know, know. another time today? Come on.
0: I know. I <laughs> you know, I figured I could make it work and it wound up working fine, but it yeah, was, it was funny, you know, because I've done I've done You know, I put the phone down before and hit a shot from the fairway. Hey, can you guys hang on a second? Um, (laughs) You know, we all know where golf is on my priority list. So,
1: Well, hey, enjoy. Well, yeah, up high.
0: Uh, Enjoy the uh, camp with fans, man. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. We'll be back there this afternoon. um, And then they'll be out there all weekend. So uh, thanks for doing this, Chud. We had a lot to cover. And I got a feeling we'll have a lot to cover um, for the next few months. So um, we'll be back next week. Thanks, a ba- thanks a bunch, Chud. And we'll be able to talk about padded practices and you know a lot more interviews. So um, we're in it for we're in it for the rest of the season. This is the first one at the start of training camp. So um, we'll talk to you again next week. And thanks a lot, Dave. Yeah, it was great, Scott. Uh, it's good to have it back. Pretty soon we'll be <laughs> playing for real. Yeah, no doubt. All right, thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll talk to you next week.